Welcome to Piedmont Arts. I'm Rachel Stewart. Today, my guest is one of Davidson College's longest-serving faculty members who has just retired after teaching there for 46 years. His name is Bill Lowing. He's the SD's Milner Professor of Music Emeritus. And uh, besides teaching for all those years, Bill has also served for decades as a member of Carolina Brass, which he helped to found. And he'll be retiring from that ensemble at the end of December. On Sunday, November 20th, Bill and Carolina Brass will perform a farewell recital at St. Albans Episcopal Church in Davidson. And I'm just so pleased that you could stop by and chat with us a little bit today. Thank you, Rachel. It's really nice to be here, and I appreciate the accolades. Well, 46 years, that's a long time. It'd be fun just to talk a little bit about that career. You are a Davidson grad, got your BA here. That's right. Or BA, AB, AB, as we say. Um, yeah, 1973, I graduated, and then I went straight to the Cleveland Institute of Music and just plowed straight through to get my master's and my DMA. And to my good fortune, a position opened that, in my mind, in 1975, 76, was sort of the dream job. Real happenstance that that I found out about it. I was home for the holidays, and I played a Bach Magnificat at Home Moravian Church in Winston Salem, where I grew up. And the um, the oboist for the for that concert was Joe Robinson, who at that point was in the oboe faculty at the North Carolina School of the Arts. And he said, "Well, let's go out, get something to eat, and catch up." And so he was asking me about what I might want to do, and and I said I was not sure that that I loved to play, but I thought I. I thought I would really enjoy talking about music in, in meaningful ways. And the kind of job that Bob Jackson has at, at Davidson College, who was my trumpet teacher and wind ensemble director, would be a really good job. And, and he looked at me and said, well, you know, it's open. And I said, I hadn't heard anything about that. And, and as it turned out, Bob had decided he did not really enjoy being in the classroom very much and, and working with ensembles. Um, that was challenging, especially uh, at that period of time when there were very few women still on campus, and to and to fill the ranks of uh, woodwinds and in particular instruments that tend to be more associated with women. I think just wore on him, and so, and so he had left, and they were looking to replace. And I went home and I called Don Plot, who was the the chair of the department, and said I had just heard that there was an opening, and and I would be very pleased if they would consider me. And I wasn't sure that they would because, you know, I was still, at that point, coming back, I would have known seniors on campus. Now, not by, by the time I started teaching, no, but but coming in to do an interview or whatever. I mean, I was that close, and I didn't know that they would or take or could take me seriously. I mean, I was just, you know, I was just out of Davidson and and I had certainly shown some abilities, but but Cleveland was a very, very formative time in my life. And a lot of things changed in me and changed about me in those three years that I was in that very intense musical environment. And so my job was to, you know, was to come back and convince them that, that I could do this. And uh, fortunately, I did. Well, I was wondering how it was for you to come back to your alma mater. And you basically answered that. But... I don't think I realized that you were so close in age to the students and that that would be challenging in a way. Yeah. I mean, do you think they realized how close in age you were? 
I think probably they did, and I think certainly the people in the ensembles were aware of that. But but I mean, there was there was always respect. I mean, I was their teacher. I was not their bud, and we didn't really hang out together, mm-hmm. uh, except when we would go on tour. And of course, I remember you were a clarinet. I was in my wind ensemble. But yes, that I was just going to say, you know, not only were you teaching, and I guess this is the case when you when you work with music ensembles. You worked with the wind ensemble. You worked with the jazz ensemble. I'm not sure what else you worked with, but you had to tour with those groups, um, usually in the spring, right? Yeah. At that point, Davidson was still on a three-term system, and we mm. were we stayed on that until about 1990. And so the best time to travel would be in uh, between the second and the third terms because they weren't in the middle. This was not after midterms, and they had all this work to, to do. But now you're done with that. I am done with that. I'm <laughs> I'm holding Patrick's hand a little bit to to help him get through. This is this will be the first tour since COVID, and Patrick Brown, who is my replacement in the jazz ensemble, and a person I'm so so thrilled that we were able to 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 get Patrick worked here as a, basically as a freelance musician for about five years. And so he knows what he's getting into. But there are these things like tour that those are big deals and those are that take a lot of planning. So so yeah. I, I'm working with Patrick some to get that put together. But, yes, it's not my job anymore. It's not you know, my responsibility. There are a lot of things that are not my responsibility anymore that that give a give me a smile for sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I bet that feels pretty good. Yep. How would you say things changed in the music department specifically, maybe Davidson in general, while you were here for 46 years? <laughs> well, the first thing that happened was was the reality of, of co-education. And, you know, that, that was actually, it, 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 you may know and you may remember, that was a slow slope in bringing women in. When I left as a student, there were a few women in the entering class. Uh, but it was still, for all practical pur- purposes, a men's college that was going to become a coeducational institution. But there was the, the initial determination that we would stay at a level of about a thousand men and then bring in three hundred women, and that was that was the hard cap for a while. Mm. And so, as time, I would say, in basically the decade of the '80s, went through that idea and philosophy was just so obviously not working. The applicant pool was much closer to 50-50 than it was 75-25 or or whatever the the number was. And so that ended up creating a somewhat skewed demographic in terms of the women students and the men students we had. And so it was a slow process to ultimately not worry about how many men and how many women and and just let it flow. And so by probably, I would think by around 1990. So in my my second decade, the Davidson we see today in terms of that gender demographic had finally established itself. And of course, that changed a great deal of what a music department could do. When I got here, there was a male course and nothing else. And then over a slow period, a decade and a half, that became a concert choir. And I would say in a similar kind of way and slightly more delayed, but not that much more so, 
in the middle 90s, we began to be bringing in enough numbers in violins, violas, cellos, and basses to begin to re-examine what we were doing in the classical instrumental side and transitioned out of a wind ensemble as the, as the primary instrumental classical group into a symphony. Yeah, I don't even remember if there was an orchestra when I was no, here. No, not at all. Not at Just all. Just a wind ensemble and yeah. a jazz ensemble. Yeah, and interestingly enough, in my class, there was a very committed violinist who was very good. I, I believe he did not stay in music, but he could have. In the class behind me, there was a, a violist who um, made his career in the Alexander Quartet. So it's not as if there was never a string musician who had come through, but of course you need 30 or yeah. 40 to make a symphony work. And there was a point where it began to work. And, and so that, from the standpoint of ensembles, I think those are the, are the big changes. And they occurred probably, in, I would say, in the first half of my career. From the standpoint of the classroom and what we teach, a very large transition has occurred. And that, I think, has, has been slower and is, still, and is still going on. But certainly, in the beginning, our department was the same as almost every department in the U.S. in, in a music department, which would be modeled around a school of music, even though we would only have one or two or three or four music majors. We still followed a school of music model, and that model is really a 19th century model, really a, really a German 19th century model where one would take several courses in music theory, several courses in music theory, uh, history, quite possibly orchestration, ca definitely counterpoint, maybe composition, very, very heavy diet of the, the classical, the art music tradition. And then over on the side would be the token gen ed class of music appreciation music of the uh, uh, the, the history of music in the western world uh, or, or some alternate title and in fact that was the that was what I began teaching when I first came and I realized I was not having fun teaching six sections of music appreciation and I was very lucky because I was able to transition out of that and move into music theory, which I found to be a lot of fun to teach, and I taught theory for about 15 years. We began to re-examine what, as a department, what we were doing and why we were doing it, probably in the 90s, and over time really began to look differently at, at what a music department at a small liberal arts college should be doing and so we began in some ways to move away from that model and move towards a model that allowed us to teach courses that were not in the classical tradition. I probably began doing that to a greater degree than most of my colleagues because basically because I wanted to. I can remember having taught for about a decade a course on Beethoven that I loved because I thought Beethoven is always a fascinating character. The music was easy to, to hear. It's a great way to take non-musicians and give them a, a good, strong sense of what the classical tradition is all about, what the music tradition is all about. And year after year, I saw the numbers drop. And I just did not like... Some people love teaching a class of five, six, seven, four people. I don't like that at all. I think I played trumpet too long to not think 
of a classroom experience as being somewhat of a performance. And it's not a performance um, when it's a conversation among four people. Uh, but I found that hard because the, we were always dealing with topics that, was, that were not easy for the students to grasp without my basically walking them through what the topic was. So around 20 years ago, I first picked up a new class that um, we hadn't taught before, and that was a history of jazz. And that was great fun. And I really, really loved teaching that. And honestly, what my strongest memory of teaching that is that I only then did I realize, oh, so yeah, I'm, I'm still embarrassed even to think about it, how little I knew about jazz. <laughs> and yet I had been the jazz band director for 20 years, but I didn't know anything. And I will say, I think I was a much better jazz conductor for the last 20 years, for my second half of my career, than I was for the first half because I actually started to know the the, the major because musicians and, yeah, and the tunes <laughs> that I hadn't known before. But that's uh, um, just one of those things. Four or five years later, I then branched out and, and yet a little bit farther because I went into an, an area that often is not thought of as being very academic, and that was musical theater. I had conducted a few musicals earlier in my career and enjoyed that, but more I had played in musicals for basically my entire adult playing life and you know, had always had a soft spot, soft spot in my heart for musicals. And I also knew, having played them, that there is a lot of substance in musical theater, a lot of substance. The fact that it comes off uh, so light and so easy, you know, belies the fact that it takes a lot of work to make something seem to be that simple when it's anything but that simple. And that was one where I wasn't, I wasn't sure that, that the department would be supportive, but they were. And that was a great leap for me. And then the last one was teaching traditional music of the Southern Appalachians. And I will tell you, playing in the Western Piedmont Symphony, the Kruger brothers were uh, were brought in for one of their Pops concerts. And I thought, oh, God, this is going to be awful. And I was so <laughs> not looking forward to another one of these concerts where the trumpet parts are stupid and and nothing, you know, not, nothing. This is going to be awful. And I was spellbound. Uh, you know, Jens Kruger is one of the great banjo virtuosos of, of our time. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I need to get my nose down a little bit <laughs> and um, pay more attention to this. And I did. And, and so the last thing that I that I had a chance to do in terms of the classroom was was that. And then out of that, I ended up creating a music series that was really built around the class. The idea was to bring I've always wanted to bring always did bring performers into my classroom. And so the real idea behind the series was bringing in cool performers to meet my students and play a little bit for them and then stay to do a concert. And, of course, now that I'm retired, it's just the concerts, but that's still great fun. So, it was, you know, it was a um, – my career changed a whole lot as, mm -hmm. as time went on. The nice constant was trumpet, that that, that was something that all the way through was something that I was able to do. Not related at all to my job. My passion more than my job, though I loved my job, absolutely loved my job, but the passion was more in making music than anything else, and I was very fortunate 
always to be able to uh, to find ways and places to make music at a very high level. And I hope to for, you know, for many more years to come. Well, let's talk about that for a minute uh, and talk about Carolina Brass Quintet, which you founded or helped found. That's been an outlet for your musicianship, your playing, right? Yeah, it has. Uh, for almost as long as I've been teaching. It, it happened at a point, I mentioned that Bob Jackson had uh, had left his Davidson job, but, but part of the reason he left his Davidson job is he really became very focused on his own trumpet playing. And so he had left the Charlotte Symphony when it was a, more of a community orchestra, and then when it really began to be a professional orchestra, he he felt he wanted to come back, and so he came back um, and so I'd already had known Bob. And so we did some playing together when I got back. And I think he was very pleased with what I had figured out to do on the trumpet in my in my three years in Cleveland. And so we got together with some of the other Charlotte Symphony people and thought it would be really fun to have a brass quintet in addition to what we're all doing in our in our day jobs. And so we think it was 1979. And you know, from the get-go, we started playing recitals. You know, it was it was partly like like any quintet. You're playing church services and and things along that nature. And we've always always done that. But also, we really were a, a serious classical recital brass quintet. And so we you know we had some great early experiences. We've had great experiences all the way through. Had a wonderful quintet written for us by David Ott who at that point was in uh, on the faculty at Pfeiffer and went on to do many other many other good things, but a, but a really terrific original quintet. We ended up, without our knowledge and permission, being on the very premier recording of John Rutter's Gloria, which is you know, one of the great 20th, 20th century choral brass works. Uh, it was done at Pfeiffer, and the conductor there was one of the first people who had come across the work. So it was done as a live performance, and it was recorded, and the recording was published, as we found out later. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so that, that was it, it, that, that's a mixed bag. But even so, I can say we were on the first recording of the, of the rudder. The, three or four years later, we had a chance to perform it with Sir David Wilcox. So just so many really, really wonderful experiences that came out of playing with that group. Um, and I've been very fortunate to... To be able to continue that all the way, all the way through my career, so I guess as I was reaching my last year teaching at Davidson, and I thought to myself that this is probably a smart time for me to let go of Carolina Brass. I in no way do I want to stop playing, and I love the playing I do, and the two groups especially that that I play with a lot, and the Western Piedmont Symphony, which is in Hickory. And I'm sure you know that. And then the North Carolina Brass Band, which is primarily in the triad, and a, a 29-piece, just phenomenal ensemble of coronet, mainly, uh, well, uh, of brass musicians, coronets and horns and, and euphoniums and tubas and a couple of trombones and then some percussion, but uh, a professional ensemble of, of, uh, of people from that area and with the School of the Arts and UNCG there, there's just there's a lot. Mm-hmm. There is just a lot of great musical talent that's in that area. So those I'm loving to do and want to keep doing. Carolina Brass has been able to maintain the tradition that we started, which is primarily Charlotte Symphony principal musicians, 
And that's the case today. Alex Wilborn, Principal Trumpet, Byron Johns, Principal Horn, John Bartlett, Principal Trombone. Uh, Beth Weiss is the only non-Charlotte Symphony person. Um, the symphony has been back and forth on tubists for for at least, I would say, five years. And Beth has done, a, you know, just it's been a great, great addition to the group to have Beth. She is professor of tuba at Appalachian. And then, and then there's me. And I felt very good about my continuing to be able to play at the same level or more or less at the same level as my colleagues in the group. But I'm also realistic about time and age and feel that, and I felt that as I was leaving Davidson, that would be a smart time to, to let the quintet go too. But, <laughs> but I didn't want to let it go without our doing a really serious, challenging recital. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because in the note that you sent me earlier, you said you wanted to do a virtuoso recital and it'd be fun and challenging. And so what's that, what's that going to be like? <laughs> and be careful of what you wish for. Um, and it is. <laughs> yeah, so we've, we will have had a chance to play it three times, which is a, a perfect amount. We did it first at Trinity Episcopal Church in Statesville uh, a month ago. And then in the same week, we have the, the, the great opportunity to play for the Ashe County Arts Council in West Jefferson on the 15th. And then St. Albans will be the last time we play it on, on the 20th. We basically Zoomed and we threw out our, basically our greatest hits, our favorite tunes. In the, so you have five brass musicians throwing out, ah, oh, let's do this. Oh, let's do that. And, and you know, they were all very... <laughs> Lots of bravado and the things we were thinking about and talking about. And I mean, I, I had some wannabes and they were very accommodating to me. And so we then, you know, had probably three or four recitals worth. So then we had to squeeze it down to one recital. And in doing that, you're discarding some stuff, but you're, you continue to hold on to the heavy stuff, <laughs> the hard stuff. And so, yeah, we ended up with just bam, 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 a great program, an absolutely great program, challenging, absolutely challenging. So and it's one? different. It's different. different. Now, being in a, I was going to say being in a quintet is uh, much closer to being in a solo recital than being in a, uh, being in a symphony. There is you are on top all the time. We start with a tune that is 3 minutes and 45 seconds and feels like 15 Fire Dance by Anthony D. Giorgio. It was a trumpeter composer, and it's just speed of light all the way through. We then do something that's, that's virtuoso and difficult, but not in technique, but in finesse. The, the Claude Debussy's Three Chansons, they're originally choral pieces, but they're just wonderful pieces for brass. Then Malcolm Arnold, who was an important late 20th century British composer, first was a trumpeter, though, and so his, he understood the trumpet very and, and brass instruments very well. And his first brass quintet is one of the, is one of the real staples of brass quintet literature. And then we finish with, with a tune that was one of the Carolina brass staples in recitals, the Bach St. Anne Fugue, which is a great, great five-voice fugue. There are not that many five-voice fugues to begin with. It's actually in three completely different but connected sections, and each section is actually a, a double fugue. 
And so it is very complex and and just a lot of playing and a lot of listening and a lot of giving and giving back and forth as we go through that. So that's the first half. That's that's the meat. Then there's a lot we get a lot more towards enjoyment and less less strenuous but still strenuous music on the second half. We open with a with a cute tune, very short a scherzo by John Cheatham. We then do a transcription of an Albedoni probably was a string quintet uh, sonata St. Mark, typical slow fast slow fast baroque piece of music. And then we finish with four sort of jazz sort of pops pieces most of which are, are transcriptions that I did earlier in my career with, with, with Carolina Brass. I did a lot of transcriptions from big band that I would squeeze down to brass quintet. And so we'll be doing that. It, it will be a fun concert. It'll be a challenge. But, but what a nice way to finish. Yeah, really. Are you sure you really want to be done? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good that you, you know, know that and can feel good about all that. Yeah, and, that's true. So... Well, Bill, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about your long and interesting career, and uh, and thank you for being such a good friend to WDAV all these years, well, too. Thank you, Rachel. WDAV has been, uh, when, when you speak of ways in which things have changed in 40 years, WDAV, uh, as you may remember, was, was, well, actually, I was on the staff as a student to the, to the, the carrier current AM station, and then... We were so pleased to know it had become a hundred watt <laughs> station that could get basically a block out of campus. Right. Uh, as as <laughs> I returned and then had you know had a chance to see it become you know a wonderful professional arts radio station. Well, thank you for your support and and thank you for um, again thank you for the time today and and uh, and your career. Thank you very much, Rachel. I've been talking to Bill Lawing, who is the SD's Milner Professor of Music Emeritus at Davidson College. Uh, he has already hung up his, his teaching jacket, whatever you want to call it, and he's about to hang up uh, his time with Carolina Brass Quintet in a performance that will happen Sunday, November 20th at St. Albans Episcopal Church in Davidson. For Piedmont Arts, I'm Rachel Stewart.